0: Hello and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters.
1: And I'm Colin LaMote. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share
0: a favorite hobby. And we may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is genre choice. But before we get into it, Colin, you have celebrated recently a very special event. Mm. What was that special event?
1: That would be fifth session without collapse in my Friday game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And as we all know, five is the magic number on that one.
1: I mean, if your plot hasn't come together in about five sessions, then, you know, you know you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what it's going down. Incidentally, that's exactly where I am. Um, we have not gotten into the main plot. Um, mostly the players are just figuring out their characters and doing inane side quests to figure out their characters, which I guess works out really well for them, but it it leaves me as a DM feeling like I haven't directed them enough, which is, which is a difficult place to be. Although not the question you you were actually asking.
0: Would you say it leaves someone feeling like, uh... Somebody else blew out the candles on their birthday cake,
1: <laughs> and we come right back around.
0: See, I was gonna get there eventually. I, I was, I was,
1: just, I was waiting for you to to swing it on, to swing it on back. That wasn't that wasn't bad.
0: Uh, well, when it comes to segues, I'm pretty. Uh, I don't know. I was coming up with a joke, but I failed immediately. Mm-hmm. Good at them.
1: You you should you should just have a small book of jokes beside you that will uh that that segue themselves just. Flip a page, find a word, segue joke.
0: Hmm, I should work on that.
1: You should. I'll expect it. But yeah,
0: how was your birthday? Oh, it was
1: great. It was great. I um traveled to Atlanta, Georgia, to visit the aquarium. Uh, one of the two places in the world that has whale sharks. I've never seen a whale shark up close. Uh, except on Discovery Channel or on YouTube, and it was great to see them uh, with just uh, some acrylic uh, dividers between us. It was was really interesting. We got to watch them get fed.
0: Okay, that sounds like either an enchanting or a horrifying experience, depending on your feelings of very, very large fish.
1: Ah, yeah, well, I mean, it, it was fascinating um real real interesting they had huge manta rays and whale sharks in there and essentially they got onto rafts and had these tiny little like red buckets on the end of poles that they just drew through the water fish came up to the top and they chased the little red thing and it dumped a mixture of uh, i believe jello um krill chopped up shrimp and other such things into their mouth it's very interesting
0: That sounds absolutely fascinating. I think I would love to actually watch that myself.
1: Ah, it's worthwhile. The uh, Georgia, the the Atlanta, Georgia Aquarium is a fantastic place. We got to see both a very interesting dolphin show and a sea lion show.
0: Aw, sea lions. Yeah. Now, I have a personal question Mm. Did you see otters?
1: I did see two types of otters.
0: Oh god, then it was totally worth it. Yeah. The entire trip paid off in that one sentence. Alright,
1: so so otters. Otters is the thing for you.
0: Yeah, dude. Yeah.
1: Clearly, clearly otters. Wait, can you explain that to me?
0: Why otters are amazing?
1: Yes. No, 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 don't don't explain it exhaustively. Explain it succinctly.
0: Okay, succinctly, otters are water puppies.
1: That's fair. I'll accept that as an answer.
0: Also, You know those big D20s that you can get? Mm Mm-hmm. And you know how otters have, like, their favorite rocks? Yes. I want to give otters giant novelty dice and watch them play with their giant novelty dice. You can't deny that that would be the cutest shit. That...
1: All right. I'll give it to you. That would be adorable.
0: Little nerd otters? I love it. Just thinking about it. I am like... Ah. <laughs> oh man! Speaking of little nerd otters, that could be its own genre, if you think about it. There's already an entire system out there that is basically D and D, but your dogs. Uh so, yeah, like, that's fair.
1: They're talking about of
0: darkness, but your otters. Are you talking about Pugmire? I am indeed talking about Pugmire. Yeah, the game that I have had for ages, and yet have not run a game in it yet.
1: That is to my eternal disappointment. I keep waiting for you to come back to me with a story about the Pugmire game that you ran.
0: It's going to happen very soon. All right. Like, maybe next weekend. Oh, okay.
1: So, All right, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that maybe. It's going to be a hard maybe.
0: It is a it's the hardest maybe I've ever given. Good.
1: Good. Uh, it's the only way I'd accept it accepted. Excellent. But speaking of genres, how do yes, you sir. choose it? Obviously genre choice is vital for the setup of a game whether you're doing fantasy or urban supernatural science fiction. Uh in a lot of games it comes prepackaged with its very own genre. Uh games that have that are set in specific worlds with specific factions and things like that that you can read through and use as much or as little as you want. But it comes pre-programmed with its specific genre choices. For instance, uh, Paizo's Pathfinder, although they recently came out with Starfinder, which was their science fiction variant.
0: Right. And, you know, recently I've gotten into a, um, a Discord playthrough ...of a new game called Blades in the Dark.
1: Mm, which I'm
0: not sure if you are familiar... Okay, so you are familiar with that one? Oh yes,
1: uh, my co-worker, uh, he ordered... He, he supported the Kickstarter and got his copy recently. Very interesting. Why don't you explain Yeah, my the... buddy
0: Ryan... My buddy Ryan was in a very similar situation with uh, getting the Kickstarter. And he is running me and a few other people online through this game. And it is essentially... Uh, if you're familiar with the game Dishonored or Thief or any of these, like. Semi.
1: Semi. Semi. Yeah, like. Interested.
0: Edwardian, Victorian, uh, like turn of the century, dark London sort of places. This is the setting where everything is very gritty and urban, but not technologically advanced. Mm, okay. Just like. Uh, Think Jack the Ripper as the basis for the setting. And then throw in a little bit of eldritch horror in there as well, because (laughs) there are monsters and demons, and the sun has basically been blotted out for a thousand years. And in the ocean, there are these leviathans. Grim. And... Oh, yeah. No, it's like it's super grim. And the entire point of Blades in the Dark specifically is that you and the other players are thieves. I believe assassins or criminals. I believe an interesting
1: other point that I remember is that there's something to do with ghosts, right? The fact that the dead are just everywhere now and you can use them for fuel.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, That's 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 your existential horror. And you, you can't you can't just miss that.
0: You can't shy away from it, that's for damn sure. He tried to just slip Uh, that by me. Well, I was getting to it, because the character that I'm playing is the one they call The Whisper. uh, Because this is sort of like a Powered by the Apocalypse or like a Fates game, where instead of having classes, you have playbooks. Uh, And The Whisper is the one who is attuned to uh, the ghost world and all of the supernatural sort of stuff. So that lends itself very much to like paranormal investigation and fighting demons and selling your soul and all of this stuff. Uh, so it, it 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 was really interesting coming into this game because Ryan wanted to run this specifically. We didn't have a lot of choice in what genre we were going to be playing. Our only choice was, what approach are we going with? Mm-hmm. Because in this Victorian supernatural criminal horror game, your options are essentially, do you want to murder your way through, or punch your way through, or steal your way through? And we've kind of ended up in this, like, darkly humorous awkward place of still trying to figure out the characters and we're about to do our first score which is like the it's what the game calls your heists because you you never know what kind of heist you're getting into before you get into it
1: that sounds that sounds very disorganized for a for a thieving group
0: well it can be i'm not going to say that we're the most organized group that it has ever existed Uh, In fact, I would say if you've ever watched any episode of the TV show Leverage where everything is going wrong, that's basically our party. Somebody out there just laughed at that.
1: Somebody probably did. That person wasn't me because I actually haven't seen that.
0: Oh, I think you would really like that show.
1: Oh, maybe I'll check it out.
0: They just took it off of Netflix. Okay, maybe I won't check it out.
1: But yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about genre. Because in a lot of the more popular role-playing games that are out, uh genre is not really a choice that you have. It comes
0: well pre programmed. To an extent, because you can play Dungeons and Dragons out of one of the settings in the books, and like even if you're on the Sword Coast you're not necessarily playing like Tolkienian high fantasy. It's very easy to take that setting and say, all right, we want something like a swashbuckling comedy out of this along the lines of Errol Flynn, or we want a uh, sex-fueled romp with danger and dungeons, or like, you can get a lot of different genres so, out of a pre-described set
1: permutations of of greater genre choices
0: absolutely and those permutations are where everything lies
1: okay how how about it do you Hardline, do you mainline your genre choice when you yourself run a game? Do you decide this is what it's going to be about, and anything that we run into that is kind of against this genre, I'm going to shy away from, or do you allow the genre to evolve with player interest and direction?
0: I do always enjoy bending genre and going against the conventions that players might expect, but at the same time, you can only do that very effectively if everyone knows what they're getting into in the first place. So, if I'm running a game and I know one of the things that I want to do is, say, subvert the idea of what a paladin should stand for, mm-hmm. which is a fairly easy thing to do in a high fantasy game, you might end up taking them in sort of like a, like a Judd Apatow college comedy sort of vibe. That would be one way to completely subvert the idea of the staunch and stoic good-for-all paladin. It's like, you know, have them cracking jokes and being completely irreverent, and yes, they are still going strong with this idea of, like, I protect the weak and I am involved in seeking justice, but at the same time, I'm definitely gonna rip every fart joke that I can along the way. Interesting. I think it's... I like to hope so.
1: So it's more of you decide kind of by player by player what sort of permutation of of genre they're going to take. What sort of um, taking the source material and then repackaging it or um, re-skinning it, so to say, uh, in order to fit in with the sort of look and feel of the world that you're going with.
0: Oftentimes, yes. Well, that's what I'll do with players that I trust. Mm. If I'm going in with a new group, genre is something that I definitely want to figure out very strongly beforehand because it affects the entire feel of the game. You can't get away from it once you've established it. It can shift. But, like, if I've got six players coming in and five of them want a basically goofy Lord of the Rings parody then that's the game like we're doing high fantasy that drifts toward comedy but at the same time if I have three players who want a sci-fi epic and three who want a slice of life dating sim it's up to me to figure out how to marry those two things and give everybody a good time
1: how would you Let's give it that specific um, that that specific question. How would you marry those differences?
0: Well, okay, that's actually Mass Effect. Okay. Like, that's basically what that is. So, figuring out the right system would be kind of tricky because I don't know a lot of sci-fi systems very well, but Star Wars would lend itself very easily to that. And then you've got a big emphasis for half the players on bouncing around to different planets and getting that whole space opera thing in that is just sweeping vistas and big laser sword fights. And then for the other players, you have to make sure that every NPC has a lot of depth to them and everything that you do lends itself to this idea of building character interactions. So, anytime you have a genre merger like that, you're giving yourself twice as much work as you normally would. Which, you know, that's the disadvantage of not going with one very set specific thing. You have to deal with the strengths and weaknesses of everything that you're involving.
1: That's fair. Interesting. So, for your last game, what was the genre you decided on?
0: Uh, Well, the last one that I ran actually was pretty much the uh, Lord of the Rings parody that I was talking about. We were playing D&D 5, and it was myself running a game for three players who had never role-played at all before and Mm -hmm. three others with varying levels of experience. Okay, Uh, But it essentially ended up being like, Everybody kind of agreed we want more of a lighthearted feel, <clears throat> nothing mm-hmm. too serious, because we don't know how serious we're going to take it. E Okay, sure, sure, sure. That game lasted two sessions, so you can guess how seriously everyone took it. But among my players, I had, you know, one who was a dwarven merchant turned ranger because, you know, she lost her father... And she was trying to figure out how to redeem herself while making a living and staying on top of, you know, all of these different personal quests and injuries that she was dealing with. And sure. And then cool. also there was the dragonborn wizard called Scales, <laughs> who I was like, yeah, okay, you listen to The Adventure me. Zone. I get it. You're just... You're just kind of farting around. And I had to figure out how to make these two characters exist in the same world. Oh, boy. Yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing.
1: So, my question, I suppose, going forward, because I seem to be asking you a lot of questions here on genre. Let's, let's talk about, briefly, kind of um, symbolism. And and how it fixes in to uh, to genre uh, certainly in some in some forms of media and in writing and in film and in sometimes music they'll be explaining something to you. you'll be seeing something but it's more of like an allegory for something else the um, <clears throat> the point of the choice is not to be that choice but to illustrate something greater when bringing that right, into right. genre. Do you find that you are able to create situations like that in your own games? Or do you find that due to the kind of popcorn style uh, players choosing whatever choices that it actually can be very difficult to uh, pull something like that off in the long term?
0: Well, I'll answer that question in kind of a roundabout way, uh, just in terms of the way that I run games. Round I was having them. a conversation, of course, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend who has never roleplayed, but who I've talked to fairly extensively about role playing. And one of the things that I used to illustrate the idea of the game itself is, you know, roleplaying is a choose-your-own-adventure book that no one has written yet. Okay. All right. And when you are, you know, reading through a choose-your-own-adventure, you are going to run into these bits where you do hit the allegorical thing. You do hit the symbol. And that's kind of a big, important part of those. Like, you don't want to read any book that doesn't mean anything, even if it is essentially, like, a little game that you're playing between yourself and the author. That game is so much more visceral and vital when you're sitting there at a table with you and three or four other people. So, I have kind of a, um, I have an advantage when it comes to the way that I like to run games in terms of setting up symbolism, in terms of setting up ideas that reference or mean other things. Because I get obsessive about my world building in any game that runs for more than about two or three sessions. Okay,
1: alright. So, Uh, they need to run more than a session or two for you to get that invested.
0: It's not that I need to get that invested because of the time, and it's I need to make sure my players are invested enough that they're going to see everything. Or at least enough of everything.
1: Okay, so it's sort of like a... You're trying out something new for the group, and if they take to it, then you can allow yourself to be excited about some of the vague things you've set out in the future, but if it doesn't take, then you haven't invested so much that it is ruinous
0: to end it. Exactly. Mm.
1: Fair, fair. Interesting.
0: Well, there was my uh, World of Darkness game that I ran on stream for a year or so, and With that one, I was about two sessions in by the time I had 40 named NPCs and 15 different locations that the players could go to in a sandbox sort of fashion. Uh, I didn't know what the plot was going to be at that point, but I knew I wanted to give my players plenty of options of people to talk to and things to see. And it was really up to them deciding, like, all right, which spots do we want to visit? And granted, this is all in World of Darkness, and it was all played fairly straight, so, like, the genre that we were working in was this existential supernatural horror. Okay, fair, fair, fair. And when you're dealing in supernatural horror, you have all sorts of shorthand that you can go to that's very easy to see, like, alright, This is the person who used to be. This is the monster that someone has become. This is the thing that steals your life. And, like, all of those have their own prescribed stock meanings. Right. It was very easy, once I figured out what kind of players I was dealing with and what kind of characters I was working for, to be able to build in things that meant a lot to the individual people. And I think that's one of the advantages that you get when you're dealing with you know a group of players that you know pretty well is you can really figure out like what in each genre affects each yeah. player okay
1: i I see what you mean. I used to know, and it's been a long time now I used to know somebody who would sit down when they um made a game and decide what three grand themes would be uh, focused on in the session. And let's say they chose um, snakes, claustrophobia and um, alienation. And so when they set up their plot, uh, they would choose um, specific scenes and actually sort of freehand a narration style of, um, the kind of words they would need to use in order to describe something that would evoke that feeling of claustrophobia, the the, the tunnel vision of, um, of a plot that doesn't include a lot of outside perspectives in order to make it seem like it was more you know, contained, uh, alienation, the um, PCs being sort of outside uh, the general narrative. Of going on with the NPCs around them. they were just kind of alienated what they did. It, it didn't it didn't focus and then the more um, <clears throat> symbolic aspects of a snake quo themes of rejuvenation and uh, venom, uh, it, it, things like that. And I, I remember being at once uh, sort of jealous and exhausted listening to uh that person describe it uh it, to think that to to think about the amount of work that it must take in order to try to evoke those themes so strongly throughout the narrative as to be evident to the player character evident enough that it's not just nod to uh to a storyteller's own uh machinations so with like well there were many themes of claustrophobia throughout the game my players didn't seem to notice it but i i knew for i set it up that way like um at what point in time does does genre obsession become indulgent
0: that's actually a that's a really good point um and i think it hmm <laughs> i gotta think my way through that one for yeah, a no, second. please
1: please do just 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 puzzle it out
0: at what point does following the genre too closely become self indulgent? I think it becomes self indulgent as soon as your players stop caring about the genre that you're in.
1: Okay, but how does that how does that look? <clears throat> does that mean we're having a, a serious session and suddenly one of the one of the players is is making sort of like out of character esque jokes in character? Just is that where you tell that they have disengaged with the genre choices? When when can you tell?
0: Well, I think like the, the example that you just listed is a very easy way to tell that someone has checked out and they're, they're playing a different game now. But it can also be fairly simple to tell when somebody is just kind of going for something that doesn't exactly fit. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you've got your, you know, your Tolkienian swords and sorcery epic yes and somebody starts looking for a mystery that you haven't put in Ah, like ah. they're needling with this one npc who's you voiced something in a very peculiar way and suddenly they've taken that as a clue
1: okay all right but so i feel like in our cases if a player decided to do that we were running a high rolling adventure a player was like, that person just does not seem right because of X, Y, and Z things you, you hadn't even thought of when you played the, the NPC in the first place. Do you say, uh, no, you're you're wrong, let's just move on? Or I I feel like just you sit back on your heels for a second and think, yeah, why were those choices evident? Who who is this NPC? And how does this fit into the main plot now that the character's interested? It's not like a, a willing, like flagrant disregard for the storyline as long as it's an in-character decision to be a flagrant disregard for the storyline or the genre choice.
0: Right. No, and absolutely, like, if I haven't invested too much into making sure that that interaction was supposed to go a certain way or was supposed to lead to a certain thing and then I'm like, actively disappointed that a player has taken it out of left field, then i will 100% roll with like oh yeah no you you were right this guy is a little weird what right. about that and if i've got to pause a session for 10 minutes so that i can you know run into the bathroom with a notebook and hide away and you know create a new mystery i'll do it
1: so in this scenario the the over the self indulgence of a dm or a storyteller when they follow a, a genre too closely is when they ignore the players in character actions that shift genre if they if they constantly try to minimize or refocus it back to a a specific purpose without it being a a natural story decision. Like if you don't want it to be an investigation and this guy never had anything important, you assign something of maybe small importance to them that the player can feel like, oh, I wasn't just wasting my time. This wasn't a waste of time. There was something there, but now we can get back to the main storyline.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So, the... but as soon as you actually like start ignoring your players' desires, you're not playing the same game anymore.
1: Mm, I see. But on the other hand, a DM also, or a storyteller, also needs to know where the story is going and and what themes to focus on, or else they can sort of lose their players in the woods if you have no direction at all. And you just allow your players to set a constantly, you know, shifting thematic landscape, then where do you end up? Where we, we go right back to where how do we end campaigns. If if there's nothing, if you're not enforcing um, a theme or 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 a um or an emotion or or your storyline in any way, at, at some you're not really putting it in. You're you're relying on your players to do the entire work for you.
0: You're absolutely right there as well, but I think that's why it's very important that before a game starts, you have that discussion with your players of like, okay, what kind of game, what kind of story Mm. do we want to tell? Okay. And like genre, when it comes down to it, is just a shorthand that people can agree upon as a way to tell what kind of story you want to tell. Like, if I talk to my players and I say, do we want to do modern fantasy, do we want to do science fiction, or do we want to do medieval realism? Like, those are the three kinds of stories that I want to tell right now. What do you want to play?
1: So you take sweeping generalizations at first, and then... Put in the more sort of minutia, the smaller, the sub-genre choices. You make those choices for yourself as a DM Absolutely once the main right. ones have been decided.
0: Especially because all of that stuff can change moment to moment. Sure, sure. Like, if I'm doing a medieval realism, you know, trebuchets and frigates game, then it, I go from siege combat one minute to, you know, all right this next session you've got some downtime you're in this town here's the brothel here's the bar here's the fight pit the brothel the uh, no. bar and the fight pit are these well, what villages know. are to you uh those are the three places that at least players that I'm used to will look for first okay well okay there is one exception to that rule and he would always look for the chess parlor okay why? Because people want to entertain themselves, and what better way to entertain yourself than pretending to play games? Right. While you're playing games. Oh, yeah,
1: so somebody likes to be a movie inside a movie.
0: Absolutely. But, I mean, that's that's what we're doing with all of this. Like, every now and then you're going to have the session where the players are completely sideways along with the main plot, and you gotta give them something to do. And that's where a nice little shift in the genre can be very useful. Okay, I think, uh, you know, as fed up as I am with Joss Whedon these days, Buffy Mm. the Vampire Slayer did this better than almost any show that I've ever seen. Where it's like, hey, you know what? We're a musical this week.
1: Yeah, I knew you were gonna do that. I knew you were gonna go... ...musical, as soon as you mention that, I...
0: Well, it's the best example of a sudden genre shift. Because it's completely justified in-universe, it's well done, and it's... it's just fun.
1: Have you ever secretly wished that you could run a session as a musician?
0: Oh, absolutely. Not even secretly. Like, especially back in college when, you know, I had access to a whole bunch of actor friends... And I wanted to say basically like, hey guys, if I just write some musical numbers for you, will you burst in during a game session and just turn into a musical?
1: I'm 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 glad that that, that, that didn't that didn't play out. I would not expect that. I wouldn't know how to react.
0: I think that was why I wanted to do it.
1: Yep, yeah, see, see, there you go. you 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 do it for to I'm be disruptive. An agent of,
0: I'm an agent of chaos. That's
1: fair. That's fair. You absolutely always were. And your characters often would go insane.
0: Yeah. I think that was more a result of my love for a little bit of chaos mixing in with your love for driving characters insane.
1: Sometimes, I think it seemed like the only way to just bringing in the normal NPC weird world of darkness like cornucopia of supernatural stuff the only way to justify doing it would be to lose your sanity to justify telling them about the things that made you sound like you lose your sanity
0: yeah no i mean like i completely agree with all of that which is why even though i knew it was always what was going to happen my characters tended to be the, no, you guys, the werewolves are totally real person. Yeah, that, that's true.
1: <laughs> a lot of interesting scenarios, Rosetta, that one.
0: That's uh, <laughs> it's always a fun way to go. Yeah. Okay, so
1: we have spoken about genre and a bit about sub-genre. I'd like to focus a little bit more on sh- subgenre for a moment, since that seems to be a choice subgenre. Subgenre uh, seems to be a choice that uh, the DMs often make. So you, yes, do you marry these kinds of themes into your games? Do do you get this is a Tolkien esque fantasy with some Game of Thrones political undertone and then you walk away with that and you're like cool okay I know but here are the things that I also want to see I'd like it to have a a, a comedic undertone because I feel like it could get very dark at some points and we'll need that comedy to offset some of the real dark things that will that will come into play how do you course correct the player's genre choice, in order to, um, let's say, uh, sustain the longevity of the
0: storyline? I think essentially the go to method that I have of mixing up the feel of a game, like shifting the genre slightly, mm. is all done through setting and characters. Okay. So, like, The players will show up in a new town, and the new town is where they're going to find, you know, the plucky sports team that needs to be coached through their way to victory. (laughs) And making sure that everything that you introduce still fits into the world is still incredibly important. Like, you never want to bring in something that's, okay, yeah, we've been fighting elves with bows and arrows the entire time, but now here's the Sith Lord with a lightsaber.
1: I see.
0: I mean, that's, like, that's a tonal shift that goes a little bit farther than I think most players will want to deal with. Aha,
1: we have settled on something. Tone versus genre.
0: Mm-hmm. An interesting distinction.
1: Yes, yes. You you made it just a moment ago. And I, I would like you to expand upon that tone versus genre.
0: So genre is a general grouping of tropes and ideas and conventions that make up the feeling of a story. Whereas mm-hmm. tone is a lot more mutable and a lot more... Um, Oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Nebulous. Like, mm-hmm. tone is... It's not necessarily dictated by the types of characters that you bring in, or the types of places that you go, but it is very much influenced by things like, how is death handled? How is uh. love handled? What are your players going to walk away feeling? And you can't guarantee any of that with genre. Like, even in, like, the magical girl genre in anime, you can have wildly different ideas about friendship and monsters and, like, all of the basic trappings, depending on which show you're looking at, the tone can be so vastly different while the genre remains the same. Okay. So I think when you're dealing with a game, maintaining a tone is more important than maintaining a genre, because it's easy to shift from one to the other as long as you maintain how it feels. You never want your characters... and This is characters, not players. You never want your characters to feel out of place. Unless that's absolutely the point, in which case, make your characters feel out of place because everybody likes a good fish-out-of-water story. I mean, we've got
1: the whole, uh, what, a Yankee in King Arthur's Court possibility? Time travelers?
0: Absolutely. That would be
1: a certain... That's an interesting variation. it's just... The tone is that... Harder to change or easier to change. Than genre. I think the
0: tone is so much harder to change. Because like. It's it's very easy. To shift your setting. Very slightly. And suddenly you're in the town. Where you know somebody. Built a machine gun. And congratulations. Now you're. You know now you're playing in an old western. I don't know. Like, it's it's not difficult to shift genre if you do it gracefully. But shifting the tone in a way that maintains the same through line and keeps the characters feeling real takes such a deft hand that I have very rarely seen it done well. And, you know, this isn't a gaming example, but one of the few times where I actually have is in, um, it's in an anime called Samurai Flamenco. Hmm, yep. Where, uh, you know, fairly major spoiler for the next 30 seconds in Samurai Flamenco. Uh, Around episode 7, I believe it is, you go from watching this story about a model in Japan who dresses up like a Power Ranger and goes and, like, stops middle schoolers from littering, To suddenly, a guy using drugs turns into a giant gorilla with a guillotine in his stomach and murders several police officers. The tone shifts so suddenly and so hard that it becomes a very different show.
1: I tend to treat genre as, uh... I guess the the, the sort of adventure that we're uh that we're going on kind of uh if if we were to liken this to a um to a river genre would be the part of the world that the river is in are we going on an amazon cruise are we going through the rocky mountains are we in africa or russia and the tone would be what the state of the water is like tone i tend to associate more to emotional themes than um, genre-based choices that are around um, physical or story themes, Uh, like the technology level, deciding between science fiction and fantasy, dark fantasy, uh, realistic fantasy, Tolkien-esque fantasy uh the genre tends to define my ch- tends to define my setting, my NPCs. Mm-hmm. Uh the the tends to define the direction of the of the story of the set pieces. So I've got the set, the costume, um and kind of the var- a, the varied sense of the and tone determines for me what where where does this fit is this uh is this in, is this a, a darker emotional journey is this a comedy and uh tonal shifts are amazing when they can be pulled off but immensely difficult to set up
0: oh absolutely and you know even in even if you're only working in one genre and you're not shifting the type of story that you're telling you can have minor tonal shifts all throughout where it's like all right this is the part where the npc that everybody really liked dies and the story gets dark for a little while but if you're dealing with a genre like high fantasy especially with role playing and especially once you get to high level characters Death starts to mean something different for your characters. Like, there are resurrection spells. So no matter how much the tone shifts, it's always going to course correct. Unless you completely shift the world that you're in. Which is a very easy way to actually achieve a major tonal shift. Where it's like, hey, suddenly... Resurrection magic doesn't work anymore, and nobody can figure out why. Suddenly you're not playing, like, a light-hearted, adventuring high fantasy story. Now you're playing something that is dark and very, very difficult to wrap your head around for these characters who have existed in this world where everything was one way and maybe now it will never be that way again
1: have you ever managed a total
0: shift i think i pulled it off once and i say i think i pulled it off because at the end of the day you know this was kind of before I was thinking about it in these terms, and I didn't take the time to like poll my players about it, but essentially what I had done was I had built in, again, this was this uh, World of Darkness game that I streamed. Right, right, right. uh, Built in one of the character's parents, essentially being the secret bad guys. And it went genre-wise from this kind of really basic, like, scrappy Scooby-Doo sort of thriller mystery series to suddenly we are in full existential horror and you're dealing with eldritch gods and a political thriller. So, like, the genre shift hit real hard. And I think... What I managed to pull off there was a tonal shift from sort of happy-go-lucky, everybody is moving in the same direction, we're all plucky and we're gonna make our way through to, oh no, this is actually a story where anyone can die at any time and there's nothing you can do about it, so make the most of it.
1: How did your players take it?
0: Uh, One left. Like, just straight up stopped playing the game. The other three... One of them I had discussed this shift with beforehand. So, like, she knew kind of what was coming up. She kind of helped me set the building blocks. Um, And the other two seemed excited about it. But at the same time, fairly hesitant. Because it was... Not the story that they started. It wasn't what they signed up for. And unfortunately, the game didn't last terribly long after that for unrelated reasons. Uh, so I never really got to see that come to fruition. But at least for a few sessions, we had that idea of like, this is a very different game. This world has changed irrevocably. And at least on my end, that felt pretty cool. Well,
1: how would you take that player leaving?
0: Honestly, it sucked. Like, you know, losing a player for any reason is rough. But knowing that you lost a player because they didn't like what you did... Like... I mean, I, I felt bad about it. And I tried... Pretty much everything I could think of short of completely changing the story, because this this shift in the story was the one thing that I had really been planning for, like, most of running this game. Um, and I didn't want to give it up, because everything that I had laid the groundwork for was leading to it. Um, but I couldn't get him back, and eventually we replaced him, and I ended up ghosting the character, but... It was also a sort of situation where I had written the character to begin with and he was kind of just like playing my GM NPC.
1: Okay, fair.
0: So kind of a unique circumstance, but it was what it was and it I knew I had pushed things too far is basically what I'm getting to. Mm,
1: Okay, so you would have done it differently?
0: If I could go back and do it again, or if I have the chance to do a similar thing with other players, I'm definitely going to discuss the fact that a tonal shift is coming as much as I can without spoiling the surprise of it. And that's always difficult to do. It's incredibly difficult to do. It's like If the mystery at the end of your murder mystery game involves something that is potentially triggering for a player, do you tell that player and spoil the mystery? Well if you don't want to be an asshole, yes you do, but you still have to come to terms with the fact that you're not going to get the same impact. And I think honestly, like, maintaining your friendships is more important than getting your big ooh-ah moment out of your game
1: that's important some some people struggle with that some people struggle with allowing their story to uh their their friendships to take priority over a story once they're you know deeply involved in it yeah well it's important to know that if you want players to stay at your table you gotta remember why they're there in the first place
0: and i think honestly like getting together in your session zero and deciding, hey, what kind of game do we want to play? You know, it's the most essential thing that you can do.
1: Hmm. That's that's a pretty good sentiment. I mean, it's what I try to do anyways.
0: And may we all be a little bit more like Colin.
1: (laughs) You're just saying that because it's my birthday.
0: I mean... (laughs) Any final thoughts, buddy?
1: Well, you know what, I'd say for beginning DMs, the temptation is to want to build a story that is memorable, that will make your players shocked and amazed that you considered those themes in the first place, that that you managed to work them in underneath their notes. Grand reveal was everything. But you have to remember that it's not like writing a novel. You can't predict everything the player is going to do. And so the more themes that you try to marry and the more shocks and surprises you try to put in that rely on certain actions and certain activities, the more you are putting your story into a vulnerable place uh, that would necessitate the triggering of such things. So when you start off, I would not suggest going too heavy-handed. You don't want your story to rely on too many things that would (sighs) force a player to have their character act in a certain pre-planned way in order for it to work. You have to make your mysteries flexible, mercurial. They need to be dynamic. They need to be able to adapt and shift and even discard themselves or evolve into something else. And sometimes that means that your tone may shift, that your game may shift, especially if you're a new DM and you don't know exactly what sort of game that you want to run, whether it's slapstick funny or uh, something darker. And Sometimes you don't need to abandon your game when it's not the theme that you like. You can sit down with your players and say, hey, I'd like this theme to be more prevalent in the game things might get a little darker coming up i'd like us to explore some of the emotional resonance that could occur with and and you you'll find at least in my experience you'll find that players are very open uh, to communicating over that just as you said jess uh and that your story can become better if people are on the same page on where things are going to go and how they're going to feel
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I think you just I don't have anything to add.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. That's, that's how I'm gonna end these things from now on, just just with a, a summed up lesson.
0: Yeah, just come up with some brilliant succinct thought <laughs> and lay it out for us, and that'll serve as our outro because um uh,
1: We still have it written one
0: we really haven't we're
1: never gonna write one at this at this rate we're just this is just the way it is
0: but you know what What we can say this as an outro thank you for listening and we'll see you next week
1: mm-hmm. from all of us here at dodecahedron i am mo
0: and i'm jess bettors
1: thanks again for listening